Take your Bibles this morning and turn once more to the book of Exodus, chapter 20. We're going to be looking at the last of the commandments in verse number 17. Exodus 20, verse 17. You shall not bear uh, false witness against your neighbor. And it started out well as I read the wrong verse there. Verse 17 now. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Coveting is the pro, what is prohibited, prohibited in, in this uh, command. And uh, it's one of those sins, I think, that in our culture, uh, we, we tend to both understand that we live sort of in a materialistic age and understand that this is probably a sin uh, that, that maybe we're guilty of, but then at the same time, few of us would, would own up to it. Uh, I think few of us would really see the fullness of uh, our covetous spirit and, and how big of a sin it really is in our life, how, how great of a sway uh, those wrong desires have within our heart. And what I'm hopeful this morning is that we, as, as we sort of contemplate what coveting is and sort of the different manifestations of it and, and really get to the heart of what, what is this, what are we doing when we covet, I'm hopeful that we'll begin to see our sin exposed uh, and, and that we will see our need of Christ. That's my prayer this morning. And I just want to begin by defining uh, what coveting is. And, and we could say simply this, that, that coveting is desire gone bad. Desire gone bad. When we even just look at this word that is used uh, in repeatedly in verse number 17, there's the general prohibition, and, and then there are several instances of specifically don't covet this. Uh, and, and that word that is used there over and over again that's translated, I think in most translations, covet is, is a word uh, that, that in some ways simply means desire. It is desire. You could translate it, one dictionary has to covet, to lust, to desire, to delight in. Uh, another uh, Hebrew dictionary for that word says this, desire, uh, it is a desire, but in a, in a bad sense, uh, a bad sense. Uh, the, not all desires are bad, but, but some desires become bad. Some, does, some desires are bad. Uh, it says desire in a bad sense of in, inordinate, ungoverned, selfish. Uh, less often, this word can be used in the Bible of desires that are good or uh, sort of neutral, so to speak. But, but I, I like that word, and, and you may have heard me use this word before, uh, but I think that's the perfect word to describe the kind of desire that is prohibited, and that is the word inordinate. That's a good descriptor. And maybe that's a word you don't use a lot, and, and so you don't know what that means. But, but it, it's something uh, to be, for it to be inordinate, uh, it, it means uh, that it exceeds reasonable limits. And this is from Merriam-Webster, just on the definition of the word inordinate. It, it exceeds reasonable limits, or it, that it is disordered or unregulated. So those three things there, I think, kind of give us a full-orbed view of what we're talking about when we talk about uh, the kind of desire 
that is not allowed. The kind of desire that God says, don't do that. It, it is a desire, first of all, that exceeds reasonable limits and that is disordered or unregulated. I think all three of those descriptors kind of help shape in the kind of thing that we're not to do. That's what's prohibited in this command. First of all, it says that it exceeds reasonable limits. And, and that is certainly what is prohibited, a desire that exceeds reasonable limits. In other words, I'm, I'm never satisfied. I, I want this, and I've got that, and now I want more of it, or I want something else. Uh, and I want more and more and more. It's an insatiable desire. And certainly when God prohibits coveting in this 10th commandment, that, that is sort of one of the chief things that he's talking about. It is a desire that is never satisfied. A desire that the more you feed it, the more it grows, the more that you want. It exceeds reasonable limits. It's insatiable. But it's also here, it says, a disordered desire. To be inordinate means that something's disordered. It isn't in the proper place and so so that's part of what is prohibited as well when you care about money more than you care about the good of others that's a disordered desire it isn't wrong to desire money or to want to make money to be able to make a living but when you when that desire is disordered so I really care about money more than I care about the good of my neighbor that's a disordered desire and it's prohibited in this command it exceeds reasonable limits it is disordered, and third, it's unregulated. In this, we, we just see the, the idea that we don't allow God's law, or even common sense sometimes, to rein in our desires. In other words, these are desires that we're willing to sin in order to get what we want. We'll go to sinful or even unreasonable links to get what we want. We're we're willing to lie on our taxes so that we can have more money, right? There's a covetous desire, and it leads us to be unregulated, to be outside, operating outside of God's law and human law. You're willing to cause someone else to, to, make, to uh, break their marriage vows, and perhaps you're willing to break your marriage vows. You're, you're willing to lie and to break those vows because you have this desire for another uh, spouse, for someone else's spouse. And, and, and so your desire is unregulated. God's law doesn't temper that desire. You don't, you don't bring that desire under God's law and submit it to God's law. You say, no, I've got this desire. I want what I want, and I don't care what God says. I don't, want, I don't care what human law says. I'm going to fulfill this desire. These three things, I think, help perfectly illustrate what is prohibited. They are desires, not any desire, but desires that exceed reasonable limits, that are disordered, and that are unregulated by the law of God. And I've already said here, it's, it's not wrong to desire altogether. To want something is, is not wrong. Uh, Kevin DeYoung points this out in his, his book, and he actually points to another author, one of the Puritans, uh, who, who wrote a book called The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment, uh, Jeremiah Burroughs. And, and that person argues that contentment is not opposed to all desires, and he lists three in specific. It's, it, it's not opposed to, he says, and I'm sort of taking his Puritan language and trying to make it more simple for us. So, uh, But it's not, it's not opposed to, first of all, a, a healthy recognition of affliction. If you're impoverished, you're not required to be a stoic and just squash 
feelings of sadness because you're impoverished, like you don't have enough money to pay bills and, and you're struggling in, in that way or there's some particular trial in your life and you desire to be free from that trial, that's not a sinful desire. We could look to someone like Sarah or, or Hannah. You remember the story of Hannah? She wanted a child. She had a desire for a child and she's in the temple. She's praying and, and, and weeping and crying out to the Lord. She was in great distress because of a desire that she had and she's not condemned. Rather, she's commended because of that and the Lord blesses her. And so that is not a wrong desire. Neither is this command opposed to a a proper expression of grief to God and our friends. If you're going through a difficult season, it's not wrong to desire to be removed from that and to express that to others. You just read the Psalms and you will see the psalmist crying out to the Lord, how long, O Lord, will this go on? How long will I be in this affliction. Lord, will you remove this? Lord, will you act? So clearly it's not that kind of desire. And then the third thing that he talks about is all lawful attempts to be delivered out of difficult situations. You know, you're barely making enough money to get by and and it isn't wrong to desire to have a better job that would pay enough so that you could support your family and pay your bills and maybe be a little more comfortable Uh, It's not wrong to desire that, and it's not wrong even to then try to accomplish that, try to find another job that would that would pay more. What would be wrong, again, is if that if that was an unregulated desire. So I need more money, therefore I'm going to steal from my employer so that I can have what I need. So as we just sort of think about the definition here, uh, sort of summarize this. We are clearly human beings, and God doesn't expect us to be free from all desire. Uh, we don't, you know, where we don't want anything, we don't have any feelings in that way. God doesn't expect that. But, but sinful desires or coveting it becomes sinful when, when those desires become inordinate, when you're willing to sin in various ways against your neighbor and against God. And that sort of brings us then to an attempt to just define this, this word, <coughs> coveting. And, and I'll say this, this is sort of my definition that I've come up with. I would say you covet when you so strongly desire that which according to God's dis- dispensation is not yours. And you, you desire it so much that you disregard your neighbor and you distrust and are dissatisfied with God. So coveting is the strong desire for that which is not yours, which then disregards your neighbor and distrust and is dissatisfied with God. Now this is, before we kind of get any further into this, this is a unique commandment. And it really shows us something unique about God. And I don't think we want to miss that. I don't want to dwell on this too much. But but when you look at all of the other commandments, first of all, they are things that are sort of external. They are things that you can see externally uh, for, for the most part. But with this command, It is a command that speaks directly to our heart. So the command against adultery or murder or stealing, those are external things. Now Jesus takes those and then by extension, he says we need to consider uh, what's going on in our heart. But this is a command that actually speaks directly to your heart. It, It actually speaks directly to your thought life and what's going on inside of you. And what's amazing here is that God has both the ability and the authority 
to, to regulate your heart. You know, no king, no matter how powerful he, he was, has ever been able to pass a law about what goes on inside of you. They, they may pass those laws, but they don't have the ability to regulate those laws or to know those things. Uh, and, and, and so they could be very strict. They could, they could regulate all sorts of things, what you wear and where you go and so forth and so on. But God is the only one who can provide regulation about what goes on inside of your heart and mind. The Bible says in 1 Samuel 16, 7, when the Lord is calling David to be king, he speaks to Samuel and he says, don't look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. You see, God has both the ability and the authority to regulate what goes on inside of your heart and your mind, your, your inner self. And we know that on the great judgment day, we talked about this on Wednesday night, uh, but the Lord is actually going to bring to light not only hidden things that happen externally, but He's even going to bring to light what has gone on in your heart and in your mind. 1 Corinthians 4, 5 says, When the Lord comes, He will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of your heart. This is a command that speaks about what something that no one else can see. It speaks about something that maybe you are able to hide from everyone, maybe even your spouse. No one knows what's going on in your heart, but the Lord knows, and He's considering what's going on in your heart, and He weighs it. We said then that coveting uh, disregards our neighbor. It disregards our neighbor. Uh, we said the kind of desire that prohibit is prohibited is an inordinate desire, one that's unregulated by God's law. In other words, a desire for which I'm willing to sin against God and my neighbor to get what I want. And we see this component, this, this fact that it's, sin is against other people. You see it right there in the command itself. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or female servant or anything that is your neighbor's. Don't desire in this way that which belongs to your neighbor. And that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about a desire for something that belongs to someone else specifically. The command specifies that, that particular act of desiring that which belongs to your neighbor. And so you see someone gets a new vehicle and now you want that new vehicle. And we, we can do this in all sorts of ways, can't we? Some at, someone at work is selected for the position, for the raise or for the move up that, that you wanted. And we want it instead of them. I, I desire to have that. The example number two we could think of is just uh, what is even given in this uh, command itself, desiring another person's spouse. You know, his wife is pretty and she has all the same interests that I have and she doesn't complain. They seem to get along so well. I wish I was married to someone like that. And what we really mean is I want that person's spouse. Or her husband is so industrious. He's so in tune with her emotional needs. He, he doesn't waste any time on hobbies. I, I wish I was married to someone like that. And what we really mean is, I want that person's spouse. Someone takes a vacation 
And there they are on the beach and they're posting pictures on, on Facebook, which fuels our covetous thoughts, does it not? And we're seeing that and we're not just rejoicing with them. We're not celebrating with them. We're thinking, I want to take a vacation like that. And what we really mean is, I want what they have. That's what we're talking about here. We don't need to oversimplify this either. I think we need to think a little more deeply about this. Most of us take a cursory glance at, at this and we can find ways to sort of excuse what's going on in our mind. We're, we're so good. And, and you just need to know this about yourself. You are very good at justifying your sin. And so am I. And that's part of being a sinner. It's part of having a sinful nature, being, being the intelligent creatures who are made in God's image, but who also have a, a nature inclined towards sin. We are very good at justifying our sins. And you say, well, I, I don't want per se what they have. I don't want their spouse or their truck or their vacation. I just want something like that. It's not like I want to take it from them. But really, listen, that's just the deceptiveness of your own heart. That It's a sleight of hand that you're doing in your mind that justifies your sin through technicality and, and nuance. The reality is, when we see something that belongs to our neighbor and we begin to desire it in an inordinate way, we are breaking this command. Now, here's part of the problem. We live in a consumeristic culture that helps us cover up our, our coveting. Uh, our society is abundantly prosperous, and, and that means that many of us have the means and the ability to go out and satisfy our covetous desires and do it in a way that's lawful, right? That's one of the things that Burroughs said earlier, uh, you know, talked about things in, in lawful ways. And so we say, this is lawful. You know, he got a truck or she bought a car, and, and I saw that. Now I want one. I'm not going to take theirs. It's not like I want theirs, but I'm just going to go out and get something like that, right? And so, so our consumeristic society in which we have been so abundantly blessed gives us the ability to just run out and fulfill that desire uh, immediately. Your friend gets a new house. Next thing that you know, there you are. You got the Zillow app, right? Or some other app. And you're scrolling through all, all of the other houses. You're watching that, that show, that remodel show, and you're just thinking about now, now, I need to do that. I need my kitchen to be perfect like that. I want more. Someone buys that, that new car and it gives birth to a desire in your heart so that now you're on Auto Trader, right? Or you're on whatever your preferred, uh, preferred tool is. And you're looking at all of these listings because I've got to have what they have. You say, I don't want their house or I don't want his truck or car but it's really a desire for what your neighbor has. That's really what's going on. You saw that your neighbor has it, and now you want it. And of course, you're not going to steal it, but, but you have the ability to just run out and fulfill that desire. And you never stop to ask the question, is that really a good desire? The fact that you're not stealing it doesn't mean that's not a covetous thought, not a covetous desire. Let me, maybe it'll help clarify, what, what if there were no other trucks like that? What if we didn't live in a society where these things are mass-produced and so readily available and you saw it? Would you think that desire to have that truck would, would then just magically disappear? You'd say, nope, that's the only one, and so I can't have it, and so uh, my, I'm just going to get rid of that desire. I, I don't think so. What, what would really happen in reality is, is that you would become uh, more aware and it would become much more evident that the heart of your desire is to possess, in reality, what belongs 
to your neighbor. I want what they have. And so, this is a sin against our neighbor. It is a desire. Uh, this desire uh, or coveting is, is a desire that is a f- failure, really, to love our, our neighbor. You go to the book of Romans and you see the section that begins talking about our responsibility to love one another with, with brotherly love. And one of the things that Paul goes on to exhort us is to rejoice with those who rejoice. Rejoicing when other people around me prosper is an act of love. So when I see God's providential blessing on my neighbor or on my friend or on my coworker, the, the proper loving response for me is, is that I rejoice with them. I'm so thankful, I'm so happy that you purchased this. I'm so happy that God was able to give you this home or to allow you to take this vacation. I'm rejoicing with you, but that isn't what we do so often. Rejoicing when other people around me prosper is an act of love. Conversely, it is a failure to love when the disposition of my heart is unable to truly rejoice at my neighbor's good when I see them prospering, and rather than just rejoicing for them, I begin to turn my gaze inward and say, what about me? What do I get? Can I have something like that? I've got to have that. You see, that's a failure to love our neighbor. 1 Corinthians 13 says that love does not envy and is not resentful. But the problem grows beyond just that failure to love. When when I desire what is not mine, It produces all manner of sin in my heart and life. One person has said it this way, that that coveting in the heart is a fountain of sin. Coveting is kind of like we talked about lying last week. It's almost never a standalone sin. You don't just lie to lie. You lie because you've done something else that's wrong and you're lying to cover it up or you're lying to get something else. Uh, It's not usually a standalone sin. And so it is with coveting. When you begin to covet, it never ends there or it rarely ends with a sinful desire. It, It often leads to you sinning against other people in various ways. The heart which longs for things which God has not given it to possess is capable of a world of evil. In fact, James teaches us in James 1.13, you could turn there if you want, that really all sin, all sin is the product of illicit desire or inordinate desire. James 1.13 says this, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by what? Do you know this passage? Each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do you see this here? Temptation comes from desire. And then as that desire begins to conceive and give birth, it produces sin. Sin, here James says, all sin is a product of sinful desire. It's a product of desire. And we stop and think about this. All the commandments really are broken through coveting, through, through wrong desires. One person has said this, the 10th commandment is actually a guard against uh, or for the, the rest. For covetousness will cause a man 
or a woman or a boy or a girl, it, it will cause a person to break all the other commandments. And, and we could go through all of them and, and demonstrate this, but just consider the commandment against murder. And, and we talked about murder, how that includes uh, even anger and hatred in our heart and the fighting that, that we do. All of that is the product of wrong desire. In fact, again, we could go back to James to demonstrate that. James 4.1 says, what causes quarrels among you? And, and what causes fights? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? Listen to what he says here. This is the source of conflict and fighting. You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. I, I, I could almost guarantee you, if you're experiencing conflict in your marriage or with your children or with your neighbor or anyone else, uh, you, you could simply ask this question and you could get to the bottom of it. You, you could sort of fill in the blank. You could say, what's causing the problem here? I want blank. I want blank. I have this desire. And it could be a million different things. It could, there's an infinite list of, of answers of, of what that could be. I, I want power. I want success. Uh, you know, I want control. I, I want love. What, whatever it is, the source of your conflict here that leads to fighting and quarreling and ultimately, if it goes unchecked, to murder, the source of all of that, James says, is your desire. You, you desire and you do not have. The same could be said not only for this commandment against murder, but all of it, sexual sin in all of its various forms is the product of inordinate desire, coveting, theft, lying. All of them are fueled by coveting. That means, as I said earlier, that coveting is almost never a standalone sin. So, so coveting disregards our neighbor, not only because I, I want what God has given them, but also because I'm failing to love them and, and likely I'm sinning against them in other ways. But we also see that this isn't just a sin against our neighbor. That does seem to be the emphasis in the text, isn't it? Do not covet what your neighbor has. Don't covet anything that belongs to your neighbor. And so, so we think often about this sin, most of all in, in this uh, sort of horizontal uh, relationship, but really what we need to understand uh, is that this coveting is, is ultimately, and, and first of all, is a vertical issue. It, in other words, it isn't just about our relationship to each other and to our neighbors, it, it's about our relationship to the Lord. Coveting is actually a sin, first of all, a, against God. Yes, the, the text does lay emphasis on sin against our neighbor, but we need to see here that, that all commandments are commandments that God has given us. They come from Him. He has issued these commandments. And, and so when we break His commandments, they are sins against Him. But it's really more than that. This is what I mean. Coveting is actually a personal offense against God. It isn't just that God says, hey, I don't want you to offend your neighbor, and so if you offend your neighbor, then you've broken my law and offended me. No, no, it, it is an offense, a personal offense against our neighbor, but it is also, and actually, first and foremost, an offense against our God. Do you remember the definition that I gave to you about what, what is coveting? It desires, I said, it is a desire for what does not belong to us according to God's dispensation. Now, that's a strange word. Uh, if you just think about the word dispense, that, that's really what that means. Uh, you go to the machine, you put in the money, it dispenses what, what you 
have whatever number you have pushed most of the time, some of the time it does that. Sometimes it doesn't dispense it. But that's, that's what that word means. A dispensation means God's act of giving you, here are the talents and the abilities that you have. Here is my plan for your life. Here are the children that I've given to you. Here's the job that I've given to you. Here is the life that I have for you. God is sovereign, and he is the one who dispenses all things. And, and so when we talk about covetous desire, it is a desire that, for things that do not belong to us according to God's act of dispensing all things. We want something that God has not given to us to, to possess. Who is it that's given you your house and your car and your children or no children or your talents or your gifts or your job or your position or your friends or your health? And who is it that's given your neighbor all of those things? It is the Lord. It's the sovereign hand of the Lord. 1 Corinthians 4, 7 says, For who makes you to differ from another? Who made you different? Who gave you a different life? Who gave you the children that you have? And so forth. Who makes you to differ from another? And what do you have that you did not receive? It's a rhetorical question. He's, he's making the point, you've received everything. And so he, he asked the question, and now if you received it, why do you glory as if you had not received it? Here Paul is speaking against the sin of boasting, uh, you know, when, when we're proud about all the things that we have. But really, coveting is like sort of the flip side of boasting. When I have everything, you know, or I have a lot of the things that I want, uh, then I can kind of boast and feel good about myself. Coveting often comes when I feel like I don't have everything that I want, and so I'm complaining. And so we could really just flip that. We could just as easily ask the question by way of application from that passage, what does your neighbor have that he or she did not receive? And if she received it, then why do you covet it as if she did not receive it? And so coveting is this illicit desire for that which God has not given, given us. It is a failure then to trust the Lord. You see, when you're coveting and when you're desiring and you're saying, God hasn't given me this and I want it, I want it, I want it, and I want more of it, when, when you're doing that, you're failing to trust God. Because he is the one who's given you the things that you have. And he is, more importantly in some ways, he is the one who has withheld certain things from your life, who has not given you those things. And so when you're disgruntled and you have these covetous desires to have things that God has not given you, you're ultimately distrusting God. Philippians 4.19 says that my God will supply every one of your needs. And when you covet, you're saying... No, you won't. I don't believe you will. I don't believe you have supplied all of my needs. There are things that I really need, things that I would, would really give me the life that I ought to have, and you haven't given them to me. Coveting is a failure to trust our Lord. You're, in essence, saying either God can't or God won't give me what I really want and need. Either he's unable to do so, he doesn't have the power to do so, or he's unwilling to do so. He's really not good after all. At the heart of coveting, then, is a failure to trust both the power and goodness of our Heavenly Father who promises to give every good gift to His children that they need. And believer, let me just say this sort of application. If you're fighting and you're sensing in your life a struggle with this, and, and man, this is something I think probably all of us struggle with, 
that is sort of the heart and, and the battlefront of this issue. It's a place of getting content and, and getting to a place where you trust the Lord. The Lord has given me this job. And I wanted that job and it didn't work out. The Lord did not give me that job. The Lord has given me this spouse. The Lord has given me this home and not that home. The Lord has given me these children and not that children. Or the Lord has not allowed me to have children. And, and I'm going to trust the Lord to give me everything I need. That's the heart of the battle. And it, and it is a battle. It is difficult when you're in that moment and there is some desire there and some of those desires are not inherently sinful desires, are they? To have a better spouse, to have a spouse that loves you as he or she ought to is not necessarily a bad desire, but, but getting to a place where you trust the Lord to give you what He knows is good for you is, is the heart of this battle. That leads to our next point this morning, which is coveting is dissatisfaction with God. It's a sin against God. It's a, it's a form of distrusting God, but it's also an act of being dissatisfied with God. We're dissatisfied with Him. When we sinfully desire things that God has not given to us, it sort of produces disappointment and, and discontentment. And that desire moves from merely doubting God's promises. I don't know why God's not doing this. It, it, it starts sort of with that doubting, doesn't it? Uh, but then it moves beyond that, uh, and, and it really begins to question His goodness. And I've seen so many people, sadly, who get to this point, their life isn't what they really would hope for. There's some difficulty, there's some circumstance, they're desiring it, and rather than learning to trust the Lord, they, they begin to doubt Him, and, and then ultimately they just get to the point where they're dissatisfied. If, if God is like this and He won't give me this, then, then I just don't want to serve a God like that. It moves from, I don't trust God, really, to, I don't like God if, if this is who God is. I'm not satisfied with how he has governed my life. The preacher keeps telling, telling us that God's in control of all thing and, and things and that he's sovereignly dispensed cer certain things uh, in my life and withheld certain things. And if God's withholding this, then, then I just don't want to serve him. I don't like a God like that. Many of us would perhaps like to take a survey like they do. You go to the restaurant or you go anywhere now, and it's, I mean, it's everywhere now, isn't it? Would you mind to take a survey? How, what satisfaction level uh, would you rate? You know, one to ten. How, how was your satisfaction? Was it quick enough? I'll, I'll, some of us, I think, would, would like to uh, do that with the Lord, unfortunately. We're, we're at a place where we're dissatisfied with the Lord. You just went through that experience. Let's rate that. How, how was your satisfaction with the Lord and what he just dispensed in your life or what he's withholding in your life? I think we need to be careful in that respect. And this actually points to really a, a much deeper problem, and that is this, that God has made you to be satisfied in Him and Him alone. And sin has distorted that purpose so that we look to be satisfied in an ultimate kind of sense in material things. So God has made you 
to know Him, to love Him, to be in fellowship with Him, to worship Him, and for that relationship to be the source of satisfaction and contentment in your life. It, it is to be what brings you joy, what makes you happy in this life, but our sin has distorted that, so instead of seeking satisfaction in the Lord and being contented in Him, we want the truck, and we want the house, and we want the remodel, and we want, we, we want our kids to be successful, and we want all of our health to be perfect, and we want we want, we want, we're looking for the satisfaction that is meant to be found in the Lord and we're looking for it in material things. God is the answer to all of your deepest desires and longing. Augustine said it this way, Thou hast made us for Thyself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds rest in thee. Some of you are restless and you have these desires and you're running out and you're trying to fulfill those desires in this and you're trying to make more money and you're trying to have a better house, a newer house and you're trying to make your kids successful and you're trying to stay healthy all the time so you won't have any health issues and, and you're trying all of those things but those are all just symptomatic of a greater problem in your heart that you are not satisfied in the Lord. Those deep longings that, that really should be directed to the Lord. We've sort of directed them toward trucks and houses and women and careers and power and fame and possessions. And all of those longings were meant to be directed toward and fulfilled in our Creator. You see this line of thinking really in Hebrews 13.5, Hebrews 13.5 says, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Get rid of those sinful desires, those inordinate desires, he's saying. But then he tells us why or how. He says, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Keep your life free from money and be content with what you have. For the Lord has said, he'll never leave you nor forsake you. In other words, the fact that God is present with you, the fact that He is there with you is meant to be the antidote to all of your discontentment and all of your love for money. If you get to the place believer, if you get to the place where God is enough, where having a relationship with Him is enough, you will get to a place where you will be able to overcome sinful desires. You, you see the assumption in that verse in Hebrews 13.5. If you have the Lord, if your heart is satisfied with His presence in your life, then it won't matter what else is lacking. But this, the opposite is true. If the Lord is lacking in your life, it doesn't matter what else is present. You will not be satisfied. Paul said the same thing in Philippians 4. We won't read all of it. 4, 11 through 13. He said, I've, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and, and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Again, Paul's saying, I have this source of joy, this relationship with the Lord who strengthen, strengthens me, who helps me. And because I have that, I can face, I can have abundance or I can have not, not enough. Corey Tim Boom is famous for the quote, famous for a lot of reasons, but, but her quote that I've heard often is this, you, you can never learn that Christ is all you need until Christ is all you have. And that is the secret to contentment, is coming to the place where Christ is all you need. The heart of a Christian person who is right with God and who's walking in fellowship with Christ is a heart that has the ability to be satisfied no matter how little it possesses. 
this leads us to our conclusion this morning, and that is this, that, that coveting deafens you to the gospel. It, it deafens you to the gospel. Hopefully, considering this commandment has helped to expose some sin in your life, that's one of the functions of the law. Romans 7, 7 says, I wouldn't know what coveting was, except the law says that you do not covet. But there's a weakness in the law, isn't there? You can hear a sermon like this, and, and, I, and we can say, yeah, coveting's bad. I don't want to covet. I shouldn't covet. I, sh- I should work on that. But one of the things that we talked about when it comes to the law is the law doesn't give you the ability to actually obey it. It's, it tells you what's right and wrong. It exposes your sin, but, but it doesn't give you the ability to actually begin to live it out. And that's where most of us find it. Yeah, I should be content in the Lord. Yes, I wish I could find contentment in this life. I've been searching for it here and there and everywhere. And, and no matter what I do, no matter what job I have, no matter how much money I have, I, I really don't find contentment. The reality is that, that you need the Lord. You need to come to Christ and you need to turn from all of your desires for the things of this earth and you need to put your trust in Him and it is then and only then that you will find true contentment. That leads us to really one of the dangers of this sin of covetousness, and that is that it deafens us to the gospel. You remember uh, the rich young ruler who came to Jesus, and, and he said, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, you know the commandments. And he said, I've done all these things. And so Jesus, really getting to the heart of the matter, this man was rich. He said, go sell all that you have and, and come and follow me. And this man went away sad because he had great riches. He had desires that were not set on the Lord. This morning, if the Spirit of God has used the law of God to show you your sin and your need of Christ, don't hesitate to trust in Christ. Don't don't go away like that rich young ruler who was sad because he had these desires. Don't, Don't allow your desires for other things to choke out the word of this gospel as Jesus teaches in Mark 4.18. Don't wait. Don't don't take more time to consider it. Turn from your sinful desires now. Trust in Him now. Right now in prayer, call out to God and ask Him uh, to forgive you for seeking to replace Him with material possessions and for failing to trust Him. Ask Him to give you a new heart with, with new desires. The Bible says that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And that's what I would encourage you this morning to do. Call upon the name of the Lord. Ask Him to deliver you from these inordinate desires that are ruling your life. Let's pray. We come to you, Lord, this morning and we recognize that we all have desires that are disordered. We all have desires that are unregulated by your law. We all have desires that are out of balance, Lord, that just are insatiable. Lord, we recognize that this is not right. It is a product of our sinfulness as sinful human beings. We pray that you would deliver it, deliver us from them. We pray uh, that desires for you and desires for righteousness uh, would supplant them in those who are believers, that we would be sanctified, that our old sinful desires would more and more be put aside and that we would increasingly grow in our desire for holiness and in our desire for you. We pray, Lord, because there are likely some who are not believers here this morning, and, and God, we, we would pray that you would do the work of conversion in their heart, 
they don't have the ability to find satisfaction in you. They don't have the ability to overcome their desires as sinful people. That is a work that only you can do, and we pray that you would do it. We pray that you would open their eyes to the gospel, that you would draw them in, in repentance and faith to Christ, that they would believe and that they would find what the Apostle Paul found, that if, if we have Christ, we can face whatever you give us in this life. And I pray that in Christ's name, amen.